Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 38, Fire and Ice and Rage. This week, we're discussing series 3, episode 9 of Doctor Who, The Family of Blood, and season 3, episode 3 of Buffy, Faith, Hope, and Trick. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you have not done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. So, Doctor Who, uh, Family of Blood, the the, yeah. the second part from uh, Human Nature, which we got before. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, starts off, obviously, kind of right where we were with the Doctor slash Mr. Smith being forced to, uh, you know, decide between Joan and Martha. Um, and, of course, yeah. he's not deciding. Um no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so an interesting so I guess just okay so we start right off from where we are and and we get the distraction is Latimer right he he opens mm. the watch and kind of gets the family sniffing so to speak which distracts them just enough you know just a brief opening of the watch he shuts it right back up again and, but it, it sort of distracts them so yeah. um, I think I think there's a couple things there. So don't want to quite talk about Latimer yet, but um, it is interesting that the family gets like, they're immediately brought back to the hunt, right? They're, they're, you know, Ooh, they smell, they smell like bloodhounds even, you know, like it's like suddenly sure. they're back on the trail and whatever. And I think you get this idea of them enjoying the sport of the hunt just kind of yeah. throughout this episode more so than, than the last one where they were kind of just sort of still seeking things out. But like um, you get that whole, uh, you know, they're calling up the soldiers and stuff, but they, you know, they're going kind of slowly after, after the doctor and everything, right They're they're It's like, they're giving him every chance to sort of escape, you know, kind of, kind of cats playing with mice or, that's you know, exactly what I was just thinking. Uh, yeah, that kind yeah. of thing. Like they're, oh yes, run to the school, doctor. You know, or or you know whatever he calls them, and and you know Martha's trying to get everyone to move along, you know, and and mm-hmm. Joan is actually helping. Mister Smith is not really being that helpful in that situation. No, but uh, no, he's a little overwhelmed. Yeah, you, you. But anyway, I just it is it's kind of interesting, I guess, just with with the family that that you do get this idea that they're, you know, they're slow, they're anonymous, they're taking their time, even though they're saying, um, I think it's the mother, mother of mine or whatever. I'm not even sure what the mm-hmm. actual names are, but um, you right. know, who she she says, you know, this body is silly and hot, <laughs> you know, or. Uh, you know, it can be damaged and we can die and that's why we need a Time Lord. But like, yeah, they don't really move like they're in that much of a hurry. You know what I mean? Like, like, right, like, right. like they do just, they're more like they approach inexorably, but not in any, any great rush. <laughs> right, right, right. They're more methodical, but maybe that's part of it because you imagine they don't really want to provoke anyone into killing them outright so maybe that kind of explains the more the more psychological it's about you know drawing him out and getting them cornered and you know they don't really attack 
people. Right, they I have mean, these they shoot, scarecrow they, things. They shoot people with their grunts. Exactly, but they use they use the scarecrows, the scarecrow army right. as sort of well, and they you know cannon fodder, so that you know they don't have to put themselves in harm's yeah. way. No, that's that's a good point, and I mean they also obviously don't want to kill the doctor, and they don't right. know where the essence of doctor you know whatever right, it is. right. they like, don't they exactly don't know, know where, where the watch is, is. So, and, so that yeah. could all be part like you're right it's not it's not a matter of destroying they want to consume um, right right and it's different than than the daleks who really just want to you know if, if you're fighting an army of daleks or cybermen you know they just want to physically force and win and steamroll through you and if they lose casualties mm-hmm. no big deal whereas you know the family I think are as much about self-preservation as anything else. So, yeah. you know, they're very deliberate and careful. Yeah. Um, and they definitely do seem to enjoy it. So it gives them kind of, they revel in their evil in a way that not all the villains do. Yeah. No, and that's that's a good word, revel, because you totally get <laughs> that sense when um, the when Baines, whatever his mm. family name is, um, is right. talking to the headmaster and, and asking him, yeah. you know, do you think these boys are going to thank you? You like, he's getting pleasure out of the anticipation of the, um, you know, the coming war, you know, that's yeah. going to start the, a year later or whatever. Um, you know, he, he, he's sort of hinting at it, but hinting at it as if, you know, one might discuss, a meal that they're looking forward to or, you know, a vacation spot that they're looking forward to being at, you know, it's like very much like a, yeah, just again, that sort of anticipation aspect of it that just like the hunt, right. You know, it's, it's, it's not the capturing it's, it's the, the hunting, the chasing it's, you know, it's right. The chase is better than, um, than the actual, you know, that, you know catch it. Right, right. It's yeah. not about the culmination, but the working up to the culmination. So, um, mm-hmm. well, and they even, don't they even say that when they're bombarding, when they're bombing the village, that one of them even makes some comment like that this is fun or this is sport, you know, that, yeah, you know, I, right. They right. enjoy, they enjoy this process as much as anything, you know? Yeah. yeah um, I don't remember who says that, but I, I remember, I remember what you're, you know, that, that part, uh, anyway. So, yeah. And you do, and you do get that sense too, that like, okay, you could kind of maybe see, you you could make a redeeming argument or a sympathetic argument for them. Okay. They have a three month lifespan. They're just trying to survive, you know, but I think the fact that, which is, you know, maybe lies behind the doctor's sort of kindness too and his approach so we can talk about that later but i think the fact that they are clearly enjoying their own evil and destruction puts them in it gets them out of that camp of doctor who villain that aren't really villains you know some of the monsters we question like the isolus or something (laughs) like you know it just it's just lonely it's not really a monster Mm. you could maybe see an argument for these guys being like that but clearly they're not because they enjoy their way of life they want to you know they don't just want to survive they want to take life from other things and they want to and we get that i forget and and, is it joan who who says that like if 
if we don't right because she's exactly read, she, yeah she's repeating what she read in the diary the dream diary yeah and, um, yeah you know that they'll take over the world or not the world but the universe you know they'll go planet right. to planet and being in the time lord you know having the time lord physiology they'll be able to just do that indefinitely you know for the rest yeah. of eternity um, right yeah so it definitely puts them in a higher category they're not just creatures which are looking for something relatable like like to survive that they're definitely out for themselves to the destruction of everything else yeah, um, yeah it's so. interesting and interesting there and and even we get that sense of reveling in the um just the the sort of the death and confusion in the school itself right when mm-hmm. you know when they're like oh you know one of these boys has the trinket or whatever that the you know is hiding the doctor essence and you know it's like not this one not this one not this one. and the mains is like oh good now we can kill them like it's it's yeah, like yeah. oh i was hoping it wasn't you because now i want to kill you and you know it's just like that very yeah. yeah just that again that yeah, the reveling, the, 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 you know, oh, good, the hunt is prolonged. I can, you know, we can continue <laughs> looking and then, you know, and savoring this morsel, so to speak. I'm right. using a lot of food right. analogies. I must be hungry <laughs> right now. But anyway, um, so, yeah, so I, you know, I don't know how much time we want to spend on the family. I guess other, so, you know, we get to see that they're not successful ultimately um and and we get the the uh you know the punishments that that we find out are not so okay i guess here you know here here's the one thing um that i was just sort of thinking about actually when you when you brought up the you know that they're three months but the doctor of course the punishment is that they are now going to live much longer than three months. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. You know, for right. eternity. The punishment is eternal. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, we wanted to live forever. So the doctor made sure that we did. Yeah, exactly. And, and okay, you know, some interesting and unique punishments. So we get the father in the dwarf star and the mother in the collapsing galaxy. Um, mm-hmm. The sister trapped in the mirrors and Bane's. I love, I love the mirror because you we've all had that where you look in a mirror yeah, and, and you, you think you see something move behind you. And it's one of those things where now every time that happens to me, I think, is that sister of mine? Yeah, you know, like there's, yeah. and I, what I really like to, I don't know what this has to do with anything else, but I really like <laughs> the brother's breaking of the fourth wall in that moment that he says to us, there she is. Can you see her? Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. that, he knows there's somebody watching him um, and listening to him. So I kind of like that. Hmm. That's a really odd moment of like a character. The only one I can think of, of a character directly addressing the audience, um, uh, which I think is pretty cool. Except for Elton. Except for Elton. That's true. But Elton had the frame narrative of like the mockumentary. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, no, you're, you're right. There, that is a, a somewhat different. Uh, idea. But but you're right. I hadn't really thought about that, and I guess that that does count too. Um, but anyway, so you were saying so the sister and, and then, then the brother, Bane's, yeah, yeah, brother of mine or whatever. Um, 
suspended in time, you know, to watch over England as a protector, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and of course being dressed up in one of his own scarecrow, you know, yeah. uh, suits or whatever. Um, so yeah, so just a very, uh, you know, very interesting, uh, twist, uh, perversion almost, I guess, of, mm -hmm. of, of what they're trying to accomplish and, and, and the idea, I, you know, I say perversion, not in the way we usually think of a pervert but you know what i mean like right. like just the 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 change of how uh the doctor yeah. takes it and and because we get the sense well because we get bane and it's interesting because i was i don't know it just sort of occurred to me that in that in those moments right like i don't know why but we take sort of bane's at his word there right so we we're trusting him as a as a legitimate narrator narrator right <laughs> like, sure like these are the things that happen and and we're trusting him that it's because the doctor was kind like like you almost come to a sense that Baines has had this cosmic revelation he apparently has plenty of time to think about it now and, sure yeah and, and so we are just sort of trusting what he says is accurate and right right are we meant to understand that he's had a change in perspective and maybe had some sort of a revelation as yeah. a, but, but is that doesn't get him out of his predicament. So no. he can just, all he can do is just sit right. there he and can, get wiser and wiser as time goes right. on. Right. <laughs> um, but the other thing is, so like, if we are trusting that and that the doctor running away was being kind. Now, is this then the opposite of kind? Is this the doctor being cruel? Like, as opposed to being right. just, you know what I mean? Like, like you do get that sense that it's not just about justice at this point, that it is right. about him. It's personal, right? Yeah. It's personal. And it's, it, it's particularly undoctor like if he was being kind before, yeah. but then on the other hand, we get, the back and forth, um, especially with Latimer's description of the fire and the ice yeah. and, and, yeah. and the rage. So is it a doctor? Yeah, no, you know I, what I mean? Like, I, I guess I'm, yeah. I, I don't know. I'm sort of struggling, I guess, to spit out what I'm trying to no, say. I have... Like, is the opposite of being like, if the doctor is initially being kind, does the, is the opposite just as doctor like, you know, to be cruel? I don't know. Sure. I don't know. I, that's yeah uh i well okay so i have one more thought about baines and then i think we should just keep talking about the doctor sure. um the the one thing i this is one of those episodes that every time i watch it i notice something or 10 things new yeah. that i never noticed before sure. so this is one thing i noticed this time is that the brother the way he describes himself as suspended in time standing over the fields of england as their protector that reminds me a lot of the doctor um, mm. suspended in time, sort of out of time, not belonging to any time. And he spends a lot of time protecting England. Mm -hmm. um, even more, I mean, planet Earth more than any other planet and England in particular. Right, England more than so, any other country um, on Earth, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I just thought that was, and, and of course, they wanted to live forever. And the doctor certainly seems to be living, making a good go at living forever. Um, so that, you know, I don't, you know, we can talk, I mean, 
what do we do with that? So what that, what that makes me start to think about to get more into the things that you are starting to talk about is I think what this episode makes us question, which is kind of one of the reasons I love it is the ethics of the doctor's various actions mm. in these episodes, you know, yeah. how do we, you know, what standard do we hold the doctor to and what standard should he be held to? And when is he being kind and when is he being cruel and what's the difference? And I think the fact that he is paralleled with the monsters, um, cause he's not only paralleled in that aspect with, with Baines and with the sort of eternal life. Um, but also, you know, they talk about, um, I think it's the, Jenny, the mother, mm -hmm. when she's in Jenny's body, says she's consumed her body's mind. And there's this sense of horror through this episode as in a, there's this weird back and forth between Smith and the doctor that in some way Smith has consumed the doctor. You know, he took over the doctor's body, even though he didn't know it wasn't his choice that he did that. It was the doctor's. But you've got the same way that all these other people, you've got the doctor walking around possessed by somebody else. But then for Smith, through the whole episode, there's this horror of the doctor is going to come and consume him. Mm -hmm. That almost as if he's one of the monsters, that pretty soon he's going to take over and be in charge and I'm going to get kicked out and I'm not going to be me anymore. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. Well, and I think, and I think all these parallels are there to make us, and I don't, you know, I don't, mean to suggest that the doctor isn't the hero of the show or that he's not fundamentally a good guy but i think we are meant to question whether he is always right in what he does and and in particular in this as in this episode whether which of his if we're going to fault him what are we faulting him for you know when are, is his fault to run away and to not stand in faith, you know, he's trying to be kind. He's trying to um, spare them and not just slay every petty monster that gets in his way. He's trying to get out of their way so that he doesn't have to do that. But then look at the chaos he causes in doing so. So then the coin flips. And then at the end, you know, he gives them these, you know, over-the-top eternal punishments and is that justice or is that ruthlessness and so yeah. it's vengeance you know i think all that <laughs> is making us question the morality yeah. of his way of life and everything so it just is a really provocative mm -hmm. set of questions i think yeah no absolutely and 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 your description of the doctor also sort of being this inexorable thing that's chasing john smith um and eventually does consume him right um but we get yeah. that um i i'm i'm not entirely convinced by david tennant's crying uh throughout this episode but you okay. know i i i i get i i do like the 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 things where he's saying there you know 
I'm John Smith. That's all I want to be. Is aren't I a good man? Isn't well, and he keeps saying he isn't he a good man? And talking he does, about exactly, John Smith and, he switches the person. pronoun. Yeah. Why can't yeah. I be John Smith? Isn't he a good man? Why can't I stay? So like, um, yeah. It it is interesting in, in in those moments where yeah he does feel. You know, like it's the doctor who's the one that's going to take away his personality rather than the the family, the monsters, the the yeah. ones who are the real sort of threat there. Um, and and sort of going with that, we get the uh, comment from Joan when she says uh, that he was braver than you in the end when she's talking to the doctor after he's mm-hmm. become the doctor again. Um, you know, that John Smith was braver than the doctor because he chose yeah. to die. Um you know, over staying who he was. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, I mean, it's, it, it, I'm not sure what to make of all of that, I guess. Um, and if you're still finding things after watching it multiple times, then I guess I shouldn't, <laughs> I shouldn't expect to have it all figured out, you know, with once, but. Uh, no, I, and I definitely don't think I have it figured out in any way. I think it's more, uh, it raises questions rather than answers them. Yeah. This episode. Yeah. I, um, and, and sort of along the same lines, right. We get the, uh, we get the fear that um, Smith feels when he's, um, you know, talking with, with Joan um, and ask her, you know, how can you believe that I'm not real? When I kissed you, was that a lie? And, and like, like there's that sense that like, he almost already feels like he's slipping almost right and like mm-hmm. he's like he is not even sure where you know uh right. whether other people think he's not who he says he is or you know you know i don't know there's just because i don't know it's it's strange because we don't see the doctor very often in such a distraught state <laughs> um yeah and and here we are meant to see him as being completely human yeah um which is another interesting angle, we, especially yeah. so, especially with Martha, who has the little off offhand line, you know, God, you're rubbish as a human. <laughs> you're rubbish as a human. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, she's just the, uh, she's just over this. And right. Ready. She's ready for it. To <laughs> and be ready done. for this. Um, yeah. Um, but that doesn't actually matter, you know, that she's over it because she yeah. still has to work through to get him to I, I like that she continues like okay sonic screwdriver didn't work but you know the tardis can you name that like you know like yeah like yeah. that should be and each step along the way jones right there seeing oh, no actually there seems to be a little more to this story than meets the eye like she's the one who's saying yeah. like she never quite comes to the point where she agrees with martha until like the doctor you know, until she sees the watch and kind of knows that that's what needs to happen. Right. Like, yeah. Um, Cause ultimately I guess she's the one who convinces John Smith in a way to be, to, to, to re become the doctor. Right. But, but like, yeah, no, at the end, Martha has to just, she has to just let them make the decision. She has to step outside yeah. and because that, 
if she were to decide that, she would become his executor in the way that he says, you know. Um, as much as it, as much as she's trying to take care of the doctor, right. it would be wrong for her to just right. She can't force him to open the watch. Right, know? and she can't just open it for him. It has to be his decision. It has to be him. Yeah. Um, yep. So, yeah, and 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 I don't. I mean, because we get that is an interesting thing because you know uh, Latimer keeps opening the watch, <laughs> like right. like every yeah, every no, few it, scenes. And, it seems as though. It seems as though it has to be, like, maybe he has to be sort of, maybe there's something, like, he has to be holding it when he opens it or for a certain length of time. But it also seems like it has to be his choice. Mm -hmm. It can't just be someone flicking it open and everything goes back. Right, There is that element, which I think is hugely important thematically, that there has to be a self-sacrifice, that it has to be a willing choice that he decides you know and and the sense in that that is human nature that death is human and that's what makes him human in the sense that the doctor isn't is and it's interesting like we were talking a couple weeks ago about like the idea of evolution and that that's what distinguishes the doctor from the daleks in a favorable way is that he does change he you know, he's always changing and that's what makes him the doctor. But also in this, it's sort of, Joan uses that as like an insult. Mm. Like you changed, but he chose to die. And, and you're wrong for doing that, that you should face, you know, true humanity is to face your own death and not to change and run away. Um, sure. So it's kind of the flip side of that coin. And, I think now that the doctor, um, and in particular this doctor, has had that kind of brush with human nature, I think we can keep that in the back of our mind. You know, what kind of, we might see, you know, I, this is one of those episodes that later in the series I find myself reminded of it mm. occasionally, that, you know, there might be or there will be future, you know, episodes which kind of draw on this one. Sure. So, and I think that's kind of um, a lot of what it's getting at. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and so we've talked more about like John Smith and his fears mm-hmm. than the Doctor himself, um, but also like the questions that he poses right to Martha. So you're, you're the doctor's companion. Can't you help? What do you do for him? What do which, you do for him? Which yeah. is, I mean, kind of, you know, okay. So that's directly sort of about Martha. Like, what do you do? But it's also about the doctor, right? Cause her answer is I'm here cause he's lonely. Yeah. Um, and well, and, and then Smith, well, and that's what you want me to become. You want me to become lonely, which there's the immediate loneliness, right? Cause we know he'll lose the love of Joan, which, and mm-hmm. you know, they, we, which we've been rooting for, or at least I've been rooting for. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, um, yeah, you have to wonder like, is that, is that a better state of, like, why is that a good thing? You know, why would, why would someone want someone else to be lonely? Going back to, you know, Buffy's confession to Jenny, right? Of, you yeah. know, I don't want anyone to be alone, even if I dislike what you did. And 
And, you know, that's... It is a lonely thing that the doctor has to go through. Um, which is why he has the companions. And... Right. And... Right. What do you do for him? I take as much as about Martha as about the companion. Right. You know, what is your function in the story? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. And that is her function. And I think know. that's definitely, I mean, that's the direct question is, yeah, what, yeah, yeah. you're the companion. What, what do you as a companion do? But it's also about the doctor, you know, yeah. what makes him so lonely that he has to have companions. And, and I mean, you know, Martha gets slighted left, right, front, back top to bottom you know yeah this episode and the last one like she she yeah. just gets it from every angle so like it's yeah. like w yeah. one more okay fine what do i do like <laughs> you know yeah i'm already yeah. at the bottom of the Get food line chain yeah but yeah. you know at the same time there there is that you know that idea that what what about the doctor's life is so good if he is always so alone that he has to seek out these companions, you know, to be with him. Mm -hmm. um, and is that I a thought, good thing? You know, like, like, you know, it, yeah. like, I don't know. It, it, it seemed, it was a very poignant moment. It seemed to me. But, yeah. yeah. Well, and it, it, something that occurred to me, I don't know on which viewing I thought of this one, but the, the fact that the villains are called the family. So I always think of it as an extra kick when you're down is, not only does the doctor is the doctor lonely, not only does he have a companion who like has this big extended family, and then he gets a glimpse of Joan, which he sees a possible future with her of family that never comes to be. But the mm -hmm. darn villains are a family. Mm. Everyone has a family except for the doctor. <laughs> even the um, villains have Even the villains yeah. and seem to be kind of a happy family. They seem to get along and have some sort of, you know, evil sort of Right. They're together on their murder and mayhem. Like yeah. they yeah. So I think, you know, I think that's there for a reason, you know, and that he's literally the only one in the story mm -hmm. um who is cut off and completely detached in that way um even though he has martha he's still alone yeah um yeah. Well, and then yeah definitely poignant i think to have the glimpse of yeah the life that could have been as well um but then that's the question right because isn't that the great like existential you know the human condition that that is human nature in a way is yeah. to be alone to not truly have anyone who completely understands you or you know what i mean like that's i mean at least in some yeah. at some philosophical uh argument Level, that, yeah. that that's yeah. that's the um you know that's right. the idea so so is he really all that different yeah i don't know that's that's a great question that's a great question and and he that's pretty much what he says to joan is I'm not all that different. And she says, yes, you are. Get out. Well, well, <laughs> and, and that's, yeah. Well, yeah. So, so we get this. I want, I did want to bring that up too. Cause I, I, I wrote down, um, that quite that statement that he has of everything that John Smith is and was, I'm capable of that too. Mm. And, and again, so putting 
John Smith, the generic, you know, name of John Smith standing that in. And anything yeah. that a human is. I, I can, can do it I too. Can, yeah. I can do anything you can do better. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> but then you have to sort of ask, like, is he really capable of that? Okay, maybe in a sense, but like, he's also capable of more. It's That's like saying, that's like Picasso saying, well, I can draw stick figures too. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, I'm capable of drawing a stick figure just like a five-year-old kind of thing you know Mm -hmm. what i mean like but yes you can also make these great paintings and you know yeah yeah all all of this kind of thing so well and and or i would say i'm capable of that too i would question is he capable of that and if he's not isn't that a direct consequence of everything else that he can do you know that the fact that he's never going to have that life is because he is a time lord. He's not human. And yeah, well, and it's, you know, he is eternal and he won't just get old and die and have grandkids. You know? Right. And it's like on the one, one hand, like capable. Well, yes, I can do all of the things that John Smith can do, but would you ever be content with that? Right. Like, right. You, yeah, okay, capable, but not, you would never be content. And and, and that's come up, I mean, that came up in, in The Girl in the Fireplace, you know, uh, mm-hmm. of could he actually live a, a slow a, a life? Slow yeah. life. Yeah. Um, and it came up, was it uh, uh, the, the the Satan planet? The, wait, I'm getting the yeah. Satan pit. Yeah, 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 the, yeah, the impossible the impo- planet. Yeah, right, yeah. I was mixing the two names up. <laughs> the Satan planet. <laughs> um, you know, the, the, I could have a mortgage, you know. Yeah. I don't have to learn how <laughs> right. to use money. But, like, yeah. you know, but again, yeah. like, I mean, could he? Yeah, I mean, it's not like he's dumb enough or, or too, you know, too dumb. I mean, you know, like, to learn how to use money. He could learn yeah. how to use money. He could learn how to live with a mortgage. But he would never be content with that kind of life. And he probably yeah. would always be seeking a way to get his TARDIS back or, you know, figure out some other way to move the way he used to. You know, mm. same thing here. Yes, technically, he is everything that John Smith is and was. But that's not all he is. Mm. And and yes, he could, but he would never be content, which I guess in a way means no, he can't. Like, you sure. know, just the yeah. very fact that he wouldn't be content in that life means he would always be looking for more. And given the opportunity, he probably would take. Right. You know. And 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 the implication in him saying I'm capable of that is to say to Joan, I'm capable of because he's inviting her along. Right. And so I think the implication is I'm capable of satisfying you in the way that John Smith was. And. And that's doubtful, <laughs> you right. know, from what, from her point of view, you know, like you said, because if he's striving for this other life, is she going to get that sort of normalcy and contentment and fulfillment? I would doubt that she would, you mm-hmm. know, she doesn't seem to be, I mean, maybe if she'd met the doctor under different circumstances. She would be among the great companions, but certainly at this point when she's already, fallen in love with John Smith, Mm -hmm. that's not going to happen. She's not going to be Rose who can, you know, or Martha who can drop everything and fall in love with this other, you know, crazy lifestyle that she would be looking for 
something more human. Um, right. Which I don't think he could really provide, or at least not for very long. Right. Well, and that's the thing, because when, when he is John Smith, again, he's saying, this is all I want to be. I want to be, yeah. I want this life. I want, I want his life. I want John Smith's life. I want his job and his love. And the, and really the doctor can't give Joan that. Mm -hmm. um, and like you said, that's what she fell in love with. So why, why would we expect her to, to be okay with hopping in the TARDIS and going through time and space? Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Very, very interesting um, circumstance there. Um, and so there's sort of the obvious parallel then when she refuses with mm -hmm. the other person that recently refused to go with the doctor, Donna. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, they're very different. <laughs> you know, they're very, very sure, different. Yeah. You know, Donna uh, saw the terrible and, you know, awesome and whatever uh, experience that can be had in the TARDIS. Joan doesn't even want to see it. Like she's like yeah. not even in the least bit interested. Um, you know, Donna, Donna is afraid because she like, you know, yes, there are exciting things that happen, but also terrible things that happen. Joan, mm. I has no interest in that sort of lifestyle. Yeah. So I, you know, it's, you know, again, parallel because they both refuse, but but very different sorts of refusals. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting how everything that starts as this sort of beautiful, idyllic fairy tale in the journal becomes an absolute nightmare mm. to John and to Joan and to the people when they start to realize that it's true. Right, um, right. It's a, it's and, a great story would never want to be in the circumstance yourself. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, the kind of like it, yeah, the, definitely the whole, like everything as it's coming back comes, you know, comes back as, you know, uh, you know, and an, a horrific nightmare rather than as, you know, the TARDIS isn't an escape. It's, you know, you know, John Smith sort of denies ever having seen it. And it's definitely something that Joan doesn't want to experience. Um, yeah. Well, then it, and that, so, I mean, just the tart, the look of it, even the, you know, the police box look, I'm sure is extremely foreign to her. Right. I mean, it's just, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. This yeah, bright blue box. Like they don't, <laughs> yeah. they don't have anything that bright blue, you know, except yeah. like flowers yeah. maybe, but um, yeah, it's just the very well, existence. And on that too, um, one of my favorite, maybe my favorite, but definitely one of my favorite aspects or uh, moments in this is, um, that moment when John does hold the watch mm. for a minute, um, and he, for a second, starts talking like the doctor. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then he snaps himself right out of it. And I just love that look of, like, terror, like, is that how he talks? Mm. That moment of he... The doctor peeking through scares the pants right off mm -hmm. of him. That you know that there's that, and it's like it's funny from where we're sitting because you you hear the difference between the way the doctor talks and the way Smith talks, and it's for us and for Martha, it's exciting to hear the doctor come back. That you know the techno babble and right, everything. right, right. Um, but I just love that quick reversal between the two, and um, 
and the way that it plays with that as something like so much of the doctor in this is larger than life that he's mythic and you know awesome in sort of a terrifying sort of way not in uh you know it's kind of like looking at him from it's sort of like love and monsters in the way that it looks at him from not somebody who knows all about him but from the perspective of outsiders mm. um sort of like with elton that they have sort of this mythic idea of him yeah. rather than what uh the more intimate knowledge that we and that martha has right right um yeah yeah no that is a great moment though when he's holding the watch and you get the the peak the, yeah. the glimpse um anyway so um one other interesting thing i guess before we sort of have to move on to other characters but um so okay, he organizes the defenses and and you know gets the boys and the headmaster you know finally like convinces him that they're under attack and they're all there uh, lined up and all the boys start shooting down the scarecrows. Though I'm still not entirely sure how you kill a scarecrow. They right. all just sort yeah. of flop over. <laughs> they all sort of fall. Um, the doctor never fires. No. Um, and we we saw him once before have the opportunity to have a gun, and he refused. Um, mm. And I guess technically he does here as well. Like he he points it, but never fires, and just kind of looks around. And and that sense of he's starting to realize at that point what he's become, kind of in a way. Um, yeah. And it's interesting because. I mean, obviously, we know the scarecrows are just, you know, inanimate. Or, well, I mean, they're animated, yeah. but they're they're not living creatures. Yeah, um, yeah. So, like, we're kind of okay even with children shooting them. But there is that, still that sort of horror of kids with guns, you know. And, right, and, right. And especially the kids are all terrified and would rather, right. you know, it's no, this is no fun anymore. Yeah, no. Um, which is... I don't know. So, so, and maybe we can start, to, you know, so, I mean, we've already talked about Joan a little bit too, but like even pulling Joan in here, like, but that's like what she says to him already is like, this isn't John Smith even, you know, forget about the doctor. John Smith wouldn't even want children to be going to war, you know, and, and yeah. doing these guns. And of course, again, we're, you know, supposed to be remembering that this is just before we mm -hmm. get world war one, um, where we know that, young teenagers did actually enlist you know lied about their age or whatever and and were sent um even younger than legally or or rightfully should have been um yeah. whatever rightfully means in that instance but um anyway like you know it just it is an interesting thing because like the idea of war itself is you know you have to talk about it if you're talking about human nature and mm -hmm. and what is human nature and and yes humans like we talk about the doctor so the doctor is being kind you know is the opposite of that him being cruel that's the same with humanity like i mean yes humans are capable of great kindness and and mr smith is capable of great love and devotion and all of that and yeah. at the same time he's capable of sending young kids into battle 
you know, yeah. um, and, and the other people, you know, around him, you know, like we don't get to know the headmaster much, but you know, presumably he's at least capable of some kindness or whatever, but he talks about, you know, being ready to go back into battle for king and country and, and mm-hmm. doesn't hesitate. And we get that moment. Well, you know, Oh, even I wouldn't want to see this little girl, you know, in the field of battle, you know, like, and yeah. that kind of thing. It's like, well, yeah. how decent of you, <laughs> you know, yes. every, everything else is okay. But a little girl with a balloon, that's where yeah. you draw your line, you know, all the little boys, you yeah. know, that's different. Yeah. But yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah. Well, and um, I take uh, Baines's line about um, would you, you know, will they thank the man who taught them it was glorious? Mm-hmm. That I take that as a reference to Dulce et Decorum Est, which is a war poem from, it's a Wilfred Owen poem from World War One, And it, like it ends with, uh, uh, I have the line here, my friend, it, it's all anti-war and he ends with saying my friend you would not tell with such high zest to children ardent for some desperate glory the old lie dulce e decorum est pro patria mori so it is sweet and right to die for your country Mm. so which he as a world war one soldier calls out as a lie Mm. um that that's what headmasters tell the boys and actually they mention in the we talked a little bit about last time the historical accuracy of the boys training with machine guns and stuff. Um, and the writers say that they did the research and that this was something which is common um, in at least certain schools in England at the time um, that these boys would be trained uh, to, I guess, you know, preparing them for when they would eventually become lieutenants yeah. and soldiers. So well, this is, this um, is it their does colonial that, period. So there, there yeah, is plenty yeah. of, frontier so to speak you know sure yeah um so um it seems that this was a common thing in that day and age was those in power telling the kids it is sweet and right to die for your country sticking a gun in their hand before they're really old enough to know what that means or to make that decision for themselves um well so and and it's so and to bring in again joan into that part of the discussion because when she's with Martha, um, you know, and they're kind of having their discussion about whether or not Martha can be a doctor, you know, you can't possibly yeah. be a doctor. And I yeah. had to look up skivvy, what that meant. Um, right. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, anyway, the, 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 you know, she's talking, well, you know, I like, you know, we know that she doesn't want the boys to be fighting. But then she's like, but I'm still their nurse, so I need to go support them. You know what I mean? Like, even this person who's yeah. against them is, like, still supporting that idea of, well, maybe she doesn't think it's right and sweet, but she's still behind them. You know what I mean? And that's and, – and you hear that a lot. And, you know, the idea of, you know, you can you can support the soldiers without supporting the war. But I don't know. Like that, that's one of those things that's always sort of been sort of a, a, an odd sort of argument to me. Like, how do you do that exactly? Mm-hmm. How do you support someone who is going off to war without actually supporting the war that they're fighting? Like that's, that's a strange sort of setup. Um, and mm-hmm. I don't know. And that's not to say that, that people don't feel that way. It's just, it's just, it, it does again bring into that sort of dichotomy of human nature of, of, 
you know, how can you have both the kindness and the cruelty uh, together? Um, although, right. so this just totally reminded me. So I, I last year, you know, when I was taking um, Dr. Sergis's second part of her, her science fiction class at Mythgard there, um, uh-huh. we read, uh, uh, left hand of darkness. And, and I actually wrote a paper on that of, of the kindness and the cruelty and, and the sort of the dualism there and, and how they work together. So I guess it's not completely a mystery, um, how that might work out, but just, it, it is one of those, I, well, I say fascinating, but I almost feel bad calling it that, but one of those fascinating aspects of human nature to, to have right. both of them that, that do go sort of hand in hand. Um, right. And when, and when does, what, what is the line between a just cause and cruelty? And what is the line between kindness and cowardliness? You know, that no. those are all called into question in this yeah, episode. Yeah. Um, I'm 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 glad you mentioned the and, coward. And that those are that those are fuzzy lines and difficult yeah. for everyone to determine. So I know we're just kind of jumping all over the place, and at some point we actually yeah. have to end talking about Doctor Who. But I feel like we have so much more to talk about with this. So hey, the the, the the okay, you mentioned coward, and of course that brings yeah. up Latimer, right? Because that's yeah. Uh, Hutchinson calls him Latimer, you filthy coward. Oh yes, sir, yeah. every time, every time, um, which is a distinct echo. Of the parting yep. of the ways when yep, the, yep. The, the emperor, the Dalek emperor said to the doctor, what are you, a coward or a killer? And, and the doctor says, coward, any, coward any day, every time. any day, right. any day. It's a coward. So not, a, not an exact phrasing, but, but pretty close. I mean, yeah. enough so that you, you can't help but think of the two being the yeah. same. Um, yeah. And and of course, interesting that in the one case you have the Dalek, who's an enemy of you know calling the Doctor a coward. But then in this case, you have Hutchinson, who's, I mean, obviously not nice at all towards Latimer. We talked about sort of the the class status uh, and and mm-hmm. and and the use of younger boys to to do the older boys' work and that sort of thing. But um, ostensibly, in this case, they're on the same side, um, right? But also there's there's the twist that we know that in the big picture, right, uh, Latimer's actually doing something much more useful and, and yeah. uh, you know, something that will come closer to actually defeating the family than, you know, if he did hold a gun or he didn't even yeah. hold the gun. He held the bullets to the gun, you know, like right. he wasn't even <laughs> actually firing a weapon. He was you know, yeah. just sitting there holding the stream of bullets so that they could go into it so someone else could fire it. Yeah, and Hutchinson's, you know, I think he calls him a coward twice, doesn't he? When he pulls him up off the floor and makes him go outside, and then again when Latimer runs away. And both times you get the sense that he's not actually condemning him of cowardness. That that's his own fear, that darn it if i have to go out there and do this you're gonna come with me Mm. because i'm scared and i don't want to go out there by myself so and you're a coward if you don't volunteer so hutchinson's own use of the word is sort of ironic it's more you know or or at least maybe a little hypocritical or he's 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 certainly he's certainly not the gung-ho he's projecting he's not the the gung-ho war hero that he's imagining himself to yeah, be yeah no sure 
Um, yeah, I think um, that's. And then we get and we get the the flash forward to World War One, right. where what we thought was Latimer, uh, you know, dying in the trenches, turns out to be. Or maybe he did die, and he changes his own future. Who knows yeah. what the original outcome of that bomb was? But certainly, after this, he takes that knowledge and averts his own death. You know, um, and has the ability to sort of save himself. Yeah. So well, and I think I I thought I took the implication to be that that there is a change in what would have been. Um, yeah. because, because yeah. of the watch, which he keeps and, yes. and so he's able to find out the exact time. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the way I read it anyway. I don't, I mean, I'm sure there's arguments either way and I'm not sure we could say. Yeah, no, right. I, I think so too. Um, um, but yeah, no, I, I think that's right. Right. So, and, and right. So he's the one saving Hutchinson at that point and yeah. clearly not the cowardly one. Um, but that's, you know that's that's the thing right it's it's he's the one who right from the first episode we we saw he's the forward-looking one right he gets these glimpses Mm -hmm. of the future or of whatever and he is figuring out how to deal with that um you know that sort of makes him special and it's it's kind of interesting because i mean they're so that parallel with the doctor of being called the coward and saying yes, every time mm-hmm. um, he becomes secure in that because like the doctor, he knows, he knows things that the normal person doesn't know. Right. He knows yeah. he, he, I mean, he's can't move through time and space like the doctor can, but he has a broader vision of it and he's not yeah. so trapped in the specific time. Like, which is another aspect of human nature, right? We can only flow in one direction of time. Like mm-hmm. we, we can't, you know, skip ahead or go behind or, or, or do any of those things or revisit things that we might want to revisit. So, you know, in, yeah. in, in those instances, um, you know, because he does have that, you know, a little bit better knowledge, we, we know he's not being a coward. He's actively working towards a bigger picture sort of thing. So, yeah. Um, anyway, very, yeah. very interesting um, there. And, and, and then you get the little coda at the end where the doctor and Martha go to visit mm-hmm. him as a very old man. Um, and I like that with, uh, the, you know, the vicar reading out lines about, uh, you know, age shall not weary them. Mm you know, all these things which are meant to be for the dead, right? Like, that they don't age because they died young and they're in heaven. They died in battle. But, you know, so you could kind of think of Smith in that moment or you could think of all the boys that are going to die in World War One. But also, it's true for the Doctor and Martha that he hears about age doesn't weary them. Well, it doesn't weary them over there. They look exactly the same right. as when yeah, I pretty, saw them. Yeah, pretty easy to recognize them. <laughs> yeah. So um, have an age today. I kind of like that. That again, another little parallelism there between, you know, can you parallel death and immortality? <laughs> Is it possible? But it kind of seems in that moment that mm. there's right timeless qualities in both. Mm. 
you know, yeah. that you're outside of time in both cases. So it's all very tangled and interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Oh, um, all right. Well, we've gone all over the place. So what? I So we haven't really talked much <laughs> about Martha. Um, but I okay. guess before we go to her, any is there anything else you want to say about Joan? Um, and then I think we can sort of talk about Martha a little bit. Um, I get. Um, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I, I was just going to say. I guess the only other thing that I would say is is sort of her own perception of herself. We get there kind of near the end when she says, "What must I look to you? What must I look mm-hmm. like to you, Doctor? I must seem so very small." Um, mm-hmm. And and we get right her confession of after her husband died, she didn't think she would ever be able to love again. But of course, John Smith showed her that she can. And, that you know even if she never does again after john smith like it's still an unexpected surprise um and even though it was taken away from her right away um so i just i don't know that's another interesting sort of thing because we get a number of times we've gotten the doctor saying you know the the smallest person can be you know the smallest man can Mm -hmm. can have a great impact you know it you know, one, one idea or one action can be the greatest thing in the world kind of thing. So it's, you know, it's, again, it's this idea of, yeah, Joan is maybe small, whatever, but, and, and the doctor says, no, no, you, you don't look like that to me at all. But there is that, you know, perception of, you know, what can one person do? But then again, another sort of dichotomy is, is that, well, one person can change the world, you know, and that kind of thing. And, and yeah. and not that Joan necessarily does, but on the other hand, she does because she is ultimately right. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that. I don't know that Smith would have been able to come to that decision if not for Joan. Well, and it seems to me, and it's throughout the episode. Yeah, it's it's yeah. right from the very first scene where she's the one ushering people out of the room, right? Yeah, and getting them yeah. to move when the doctor won't. When the doctor has well, when Smith won't. You know, Smith yeah. is sort of deer in headlights at that moment, and Joan's the one who gets the people moving. Um, yeah, and then you know, in other ways throughout the episode, is is sort of helping things to happen. It, you know, she is kind of being that facilitator that a nurse is. You know, like mm-hmm. y- you know, she's well. You know, the, what is the relationship of a nurse to a doctor? She's an assistant. She's, you know again of someone who facilitates things but um in this case it's it's kind of like pretty obvious that she's doing most of the work in some cases here you know so yeah I, yeah you know i guess it's just you know again that that her perception of herself is someone who's so small you know who who isn't very important but but we know without her mm-hmm. I'll, you know things may have never worked out properly so um yeah i don't know i i guess i just want to make sure that was sort of said about her yeah um yeah well and even just the like she's the one who has the idea to go to the cartwright house and you know kind of hides everyone away and i don't know yeah yeah and she says how easily i accept these ideas like she's already acting like the companion a little bit that she even though it is abhorrent to her it's not 
fun in any way, still she has kind of an ability to sort of think in that way. And, well, and I think it's, you know, be the kind of, you know, you can see her kind of being right up there with Martha in terms of coming up with, you know, good ideas of what can we do next. And, yeah. um, well, and I think it's, so I think we get sort of the contrast, um, between the the intellectual, you know, academic Mr. Smith and the the practical, no nonsense, scientific minded yeah. nurse, right? It's yeah. it's mm-hmm. she's doing what needs to be done, and she's yeah. reading the things and she's looking at stuff and and making you know triaging the situation in the best yeah. way based <laughs> on what she knows how to do. Whereas mm-hmm. you know. Mr. Smith is intellectual and, oh, aren't these grand ideas? But when faced with like actual reality, (laughs) you know, it is kind of useless. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and I don't, and I I don't know how companion-y, you know, that is for Joan to do that, but it is, Mm -hmm. it is very nurse-y, nurse-like, I guess, you know, to be that practical one of, we need to find a place to hide. So come here. I suspect that the Cartwright house might be empty because, you know, uh, these monsters have killed all the ones and and then took over the little girl. So, um, right. Yeah. I don't know. I I think that's, you know, so Joan is certainly selling herself short, I guess in the end, but, uh, yeah, you know, good to know that, that she doesn't live up to her own self reputation. Um, sure. Yeah. The, the last thing I would want to, Mentioned, we kind of touched on it, but her sort of definitive rejection of the doctor and her, um, you know, basically the fault she places at him at the end is if you hadn't come here on a whim, nobody would have died and you can leave now. Um, right. And the fact that he. Well, and she asks it. She asks it. She she asks as a sure. question for him yeah, to think right. about. But where? But would anybody have died? And he doesn't answer. Right. I mean, because the, he doesn't have an answer. The implication yeah. being that that probably is the case. And and yeah. so that's the question. And so, uh, uh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, what I would say is that I think that's a perceptive question and and one that we should keep. I think the fact that the doctor doesn't answer at least suggests that he can't deny it at least whether or not we're meant to agree with her i think at least a part of the doctor is struggling with that question Mm. um because he doesn't have an answer for it so um i think that's a good one to kind of just you know as something for the doctor no matter his incarnation that that's just a constant is does does he follow the, the chaos and the adventure or does it follow him and to what extent is he responsible for mm. and we've asked that before um and we'll keep asking it so um it's just kind of an interesting thing to keep in mind and especially i think the the doctor's lack of answer suggests that it's something that he might have thought about himself um, yeah sure no i so. think i think it's a very poignant question i think we're meant to believe that just because she's asking it as a question, that doesn't mean Joan doesn't actually think that. <laughs> like, I think we're very yeah, much meant yeah. to think that Joan thinks that. So, um, so yeah, I guess, I guess for me, the, the sort of corollary or companion questions, pun intended, um, would mm-hmm. be, 
if the doctor went anywhere, wouldn't that be true? So like what makes him choose this particular place? Well, or like, could he have, could he have put himself in a, you know, as a hermit on some desolate planet where Martha was his servant there and they were the only ones like around, you know what I mean? Like, Right. Like where nobody else right. could possibly have gotten hurt or or in doing that, would have it, the family found him too easily? Like maybe, mm. you know, he would have stuck out like a sore thumb in such a place right. because he is the only person there. So, you know, that's the question. And, um, and, and then the other thing is, is this also another dichotomy of being cruel in kindness? He's being kind to someone else, but is that at the expense, you know, right. the, the cruelty to... Uh, the people who are put in danger at the school and, and right. And, and I village. think that's, that's definitely part of it because he is being kind to the aliens, but at the expense of mm-hmm. the humans. And, um, and is that, and certainly, and cert- I mean, at the physical danger of aliens attacking, but also uh, to John Smith, this character, this human that he and the TARDIS sort of created mm didn't really give much of a thought as to what he how he would feel about eventually being evicted yeah. from you know created and then just sort of tossed aside oh, and man. and did he just wait till we, we get to season six of buffy what he or season five you know, of buffy and and we'll have some other conversations about that <laughs> we'll have some stuff that man you know that's getting ahead yeah but, um, that's a little bit ahead sorry i that just but, the way you asked that question that that Totally made me think of something else. But anyway. Yeah. So I think, you know, so like, you know, putting the schoolboys in the village of danger, but also, you know, say the, say the family never found them and they died in three months. Mm-hmm. He would still have to, John Smith would still have to open the watch. John Smith would still have to die. Mm-hmm. Um, so he seems to have been, the doctor seems to have created him either with not having thought that through. And that's kind of what Martha says is like, well, no, falling in love didn't occur to him is he didn't really think about it. He was in a rush. Um, So, you know, or he did it with knowledge of that and did it anyway. Um, So, yeah, I think all sorts of, we got talking about the doctor again. Do we have anything to say about Martha before? (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to, I mean, we have to, say i think a few things about martha um something about martha so there's there's the again the reiteration of uh well so joan says tell me in this fairy tale who are you (laughs) you know like it's who who are you as a companion you know again what do you do for the doctor and and just a friend Mm. i mean you haven't got a rival as much just a friend (laughs) like you know she's (laughs) you know Almost says whatever, but then then there's the admission that wh- who is she? She's someone who needs the doctor. When it comes down to it, that's what she says. They need him, and mm-hmm. I need him because you've got no idea of what he's like. I've only just met him; it wasn't even that long ago. But he is everything. He's everything to me, and he doesn't even look at me. But I don't care because I love him the best. So then the question becomes again: Why does the doctor need her? Well, I mean. Yeah, we you know in a way he does because he needs a companion. But at this point, it's more about her needing him. I you know, 
not saying he doesn't need her at all, but mm-hmm. but you you still do get that sense of, and obviously with her not having been in the journal that he was keeping, but yeah, we know that he invented, so to speak, Rose, um, you know, in the dream journal. Like it, mm-hmm. you, you know, there's still that sense that she's she hasn't really cracked his inner shell, right? It's, Mm -hmm. there's still, there's still levels to sort of be um, dug into there with the doctor from, from Martha's perspective. So, and, and she feels it and she knows it and she knows she's being sort of held at bay, um, which is an interesting parallel to even just sort of her station as, um, you know, a housemaid and, and, and someone who isn't listened to um, like the (laughs) headmaster. Oh, just the when she first says something to him and he turns to the doctor and says, your favorite servant is speaking to me. You need to. You yeah, know. Yeah. It's like he, he won't, even, her, he won't yeah. even address her directly. What a. Yeah. So and so. Anyway, yeah. so it just it's. Yeah, it's just a really. And then with Joan, you know, again, the, the comment about a skivvy and one of your color not being able to be a doctor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I like that part about you read that in a book. Yeah, obviously that's because I studied. Yeah. Like that's how you learn yeah, things. Yeah, too. yeah, exactly. Like, um, yeah. So anyway, I just you know again that that idea that she's still sort of trying to figure out how exactly she fits in because um, mm-hmm. it hasn't been that long that even I mean even just not the last episode but the episode before that, right. Was where he took her back home and was like, yeah, okay, you're done. I took you on a little trip. Now, now we're done. Like, so now, okay. She's no, I guess it was a couple episodes before that. Right. But, um, when she got like the TARDIS key and stuff and, and yeah, like perks of the, you know, perks of, of, uh, uh, frequent flyer. Right. Mm -hmm. But, She's still okay. She's a frequent flyer, but it's like she's still a coach frequent flyer. She's not. She hasn't like moved to first class like Rose did. You know what I mean? Like she's yeah. She's still kind of a second tier citizen or something. You know what I mean? Like sure, yeah. You know she. So anyway, at least she seems to feel that way. Um, Yeah. The 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 relationship between her and the doctor is not an equal one. Um, Right. Like we got to the point with Rose where we felt that it was. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's what I would yep. have to say about Martha for for this episode. Um, yeah, any- I agree. I mean, the only thing I have to counter that, which I don't think contradicts it, is the same thing we said last week. And we've noticed is I think he is there is this theme of him putting absolute trust in her abilities, you know? Now I don't Mm -hmm. think that that means that he's trusting her as a person necessarily, but certainly for her ability to take care of him, you know, he says, thanks for taking care. And he trusts that she can take care of things that, Mm -hmm. you know, that there's, um, at least in terms of what she's capable of doing, um, you know, she's getting increasing levels of responsibility. Right. Um, So there is, but again, I don't think that that contradicts that she's still outside of the inner circles in terms of her emotional equality or, you yeah. know. Um, well, yeah, you can trust someone without 
opening yourself and being yeah. vulnerable, like sort of emotionally or in a yeah. relationship sort of way to them. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it, you know, interesting. I guess we'll see where that goes. But, um, yep. Uh, all right. All right. We need to stop because we're so way over. On to Buffy. And a few new characters. Oh, you know, I, I'm sorry. Oh. I do have one more thing to say. This is, I'm going to be so quick. Um, okay. I do, I do have to note this because it's important if I can find my notes. So uh, these episodes, these Doctor Who episodes, were nominated for the Hugo Award that year. Mm. Um, they didn't win, but they were nominated. Um, in that Mighty 200 poll that I've mentioned a few times mm -hmm. that Doctor Who magazine conducted, um, this story came in sixth overall oh, out of 200. So it is a favorite. Um, and... Uh, certainly one of my favorites and tends to be a fan favorite. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, David Tennant won a 2007 Constellation Award for these episodes as well. So um, these are some of the most, you know, um, in terms of popularity, some of the most highly regarded of the whole history of the show. So they rank up there with, with the greats. Um, Anyway, now we can go on to Buffy. Very cool. All right. Well, where do you want to start? Uh, well, let is let's start with Faith, who is the new Slayer in town. Okay. Um. So. And also the first well, person in the title. And the first person in the title. Um, but we're not going to go in order of the title, because uh, <laughs> that would be silly. So. And we would never be silly on this podcast. Of course not, no. Um, one of the things that I think is really interesting about Faith is the way she is, from what I can tell, directly contrasted with Kendra. Hmm. Um, it, I, I kind of like this little Slayer Trinity um, where, <laughs> you know, where before Kendra was very, you know, by the book, you know, played by the rules did everything just the right way you know that was very you know didn't talk to boys she studied she had texts you know she left her family she did all the things that the good slayer is supposed to do and buffy was sort of the wild and crazy loose card who you know um you know made things up as she went along and uh you know, didn't really play by the rules and had friends mm -hmm. and, you know, all these things. Now, suddenly you get another Slayer who suddenly you realize Buffy isn't at the wild end of the spectrum, that she's kind of in the middle. And we get Faith, who is way further towards the wild card side than Buffy ever was. Um, so, you know, she, you know, we come to find all this stuff out that she, you know, doesn't... She's, if, if Buffy struggles with school, Faith has left school. School's not even a part of Faith's life anymore. Um, family doesn't really seem to be a part of her life. She's lost her watcher. And, you know, any, she seems to have a slayer sense of duty, but she's not fighting because it's a job. She's not fighting because it's her destiny and she has to. She is fighting because it seems to be an outlet for all of this mm -hmm. pent up rage that, sure. you know, she says to Joyce that 
that she loves being a slayer and she loves it because uh, she loves the feeling of winning that she knows she's going to win and she likes that feeling. And we see later on just how much she likes that feeling when she, you know, ignores what Buffy is doing and Buffy getting in trouble to beat up this vampire to a bloody pulp and everything. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's kind of, I, I like that each time we get a new piece of the Slayer mythology, we're kind of, it's becoming a little bit more three-dimensional that, you know, they all sit, they all kind of, uh, you know, contrast Buffy in different ways. And it's kind of interesting to look at Kendra and Faith and how opposite they are from each other. Um, so I don't know if you have any thoughts about that, but that was kind of the thing that struck me most from this episode. Yeah. Well, and I think you're right to sort of contrast Faith and Kendra because um, we do get, so on the one sense we, we talked about Kendra being like, okay, this is what a slayer is supposed to be like without mm -hmm. friends, without family. But then now we see faith as a slayer without friends or family right, that's true. as yeah. well, but also without guidance. And I think that's, yeah. that's the key there, right? Is that Kendra had, a watcher who was apparently very mm -hmm. diligent with her and, and helped her out. So, you know, I mean, I guess faith did have a watcher, but one, we know that Kendra didn't die that long ago. So, you know, how long has faith had a watcher? Like we don't really know. And right. We don't, right. Like for like the summer or something. Yeah. Well, yeah. and we don't know exactly when the watcher died. Right. So like, was it a week ago? Was it a month ago? Was it like a day or two after she became a slayer? Like, you know, how, how long yeah. has, has faith been sort of on her own running from town to town? Because we do get the sense that it's not immediately before, like she didn't, her watcher didn't die. And then she came directly to Sunnydale. It was like, yeah, maybe she was a little bit of time on her own. And then it occurred to her, Oh, I did hear that there was another slayer somewhere. Maybe I should go look for her, you know? So yeah. at least that's yeah. the sense that I get. I don't know that we ever get a real definitive answer for that, but um, certainly can listen for that. Um, Cause I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure either way. Yeah. I, I don't know why it, I, if I was to guess, I would say that like, okay, so let's say if she's been a slayer since Kendra died, which was right before the summer started, I would imagine that, you know, if she had the watcher for maybe about half that time. So maybe she mm -hmm. had a watcher for a month or so. And then for the last, for the second half, she's been like, it seems like I would doubt that the watcher died immediately mm -hmm. because she seems it's not even just that she's traumatized by it, but she seems to have had some sort of a bond with the watcher right. more than just, I saw someone brutally killed, but actually that this was a mentor, mm -hmm. um, you know, so that's what makes, but I agree with you. It doesn't seem like this happened last week. You know, right. it seems like she's been on her own for a while. Her, her money's depleted. Um, and she's had time to make her way cross country and everything. Mm -hmm. So it does seem that, you know, she had enough training to sort of 
develop a relationship with the watcher and develop a certain amount of fighting skill, but not enough to really learn any sort of maturity in her role. You know, not enough to really right. understand or discipline what even or discipline yeah. or um you know, or any sense of how to sort of, you know, it, it, you know, keep keep going when, you know, because Buffy's had to keep going despite losses, you know, despite losing Jenny and mm. then losing Angel. And even though she's had rough patches, you know, you still see her knowing how to, to do her job and to do it well and to show restraint and everything. And whereas it seems like Faith, this is probably the first real loss that she's suffered. So she doesn't really know how to deal with it. And so all she knows how to do is to, you know, take pleasure in the violence and to hide behind that and to use that as a sort of a coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't, so, and we don't know, well, there is a very quick hint that her mother is also dead. Right. So it's not just the watcher. Um, she says, right. she, she says, my dead mother could hit harder than you to Buffy. Right. That's right. Um, I forgot that. Yeah. So very, very subtle, but um, interesting there. And and so we also get the, you know, her saying to, uh, was it Willow or Xander or both of them? It might, might have been when she's talking to both of them. You know, if I had friends like you, maybe, no, I still would have dropped out of high school. But, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah. might have been more upset about it kind of thing. So like. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I mean, this is not just a one-off sort of thing. We we get the idea that this is a pattern of her sort of pushing, well, either people being taken from her or her pushing, and, and then her pretty much pushing everyone else away. Like, it's not, um, yeah. you know, and maybe that is her coping mechanism because her mo- we don't know when her mother died. She doesn't mention a father at all. And right. her watcher has been killed. Uh, so anyone who might have any sort of authority over her, uh, has, has, is gone and anyone mm-hmm. else, she doesn't seem to care about that much. Um, or at least never had the chance to develop those friendships or whatever. Um, the other person, I guess I would sort of contrast her with is actually, or compare her with even is spike. Um, because she Hmm. does sort of seem to have that, you know, I'll go in for the good time, but then Mm -hmm. as soon as it stops being fun, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. Um, so, you know, I don't, I don't know how much to make of that, but that, that would be, you know, potentially another, another sort of comparison, um, there. Uh, yeah, and the kind of, yeah, that kind of nomadic lifestyle that, you know. Yeah, like she can just pick she, up and leave and go She can wherever. just pick up and wander from place to place and, you know, in search of a good time, but also sort of running from what's behind her. Yeah, yeah. Um, Either or both, you know, yeah. whatever. <laughs> um, and, of course, so there's the... The sort of, well, I mean, so she lies, obviously, about her watcher. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, says that she's at this retreat or whatever. And, you know, I mean, we've seen Buffy lie. So, like, on the one hand, 
you know, they're human, teenage girls, teenagers, not even gender, doesn't matter. They lie, yeah. you know, they're humans and they're teenagers sure. and they lied, um, you know, at certain points. But this like seems bigger to me than any sort of thing that we, I mean, okay, yes, Buffy ran away from home and didn't tell anyone. Mm -hmm. But even this seems worse than that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts sort of on that? Um, Do you mean as far as like the implications of her lying on the, other, yeah, the just, rest of the group? Yeah. 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 The implications of like, she's. Well, and I don't know. I, and maybe it's not worse than what Buffy does, but like, it, it just seems like she's not doing it. Um, hmm, I don't know. I guess I guess I'm trying to put it in a way that that sort of does make it sound worse. But then again, maybe maybe I'm not sure it is worse than anything Buffy right, does. Right. So I guess I well, it does seem it does seem to be going with that theme of you know lack of communication and mm. that causing problems. You know that generally. Uh, with your allies disclosure is better than not that you know that there's there's an inherent goodness to you know telling the truth mm. and and telling you know filling people in on what's going on um i mean we even kind of you know thought of a parallel between her and the doctor in the way that you know, their choices and their running sort of brings chaos down on other people who, you know, brings trouble to Buffy, you know, Buffy kind of takes offense, like, well, this is my town and I'm doing fine running it. What are you bringing your problems over here for? You know, right. and you get that idea that if she had come to Buffy right. and asked for help, Buffy would have gladly given it, you know, you know, the, the problem is this sort of, pretending like you're just here for a good time when really it's with, you know, demons right at your tail who are, you know, you know, very, very dangerous demons mm. who almost get them killed. Um, so whether that makes it worse than some of the other lies, I'm not sure, but definitely it does seem that the, you know, when when the heroes lie to each other, that is never good. <laughs> yeah, There's certainly and, never, you know, and, which sounds like a trite thing, but, like, I think that is the pattern. Well, and, and maybe it's the omission versus, you know, commission sort of lie. Like, it's, sure, yeah. you, you know, because she's not just, like, avoiding the topic of her, of her watcher. She's actively saying, oh, no, my watcher is fine and is right. in England. Yeah, and, yeah. Right. And, you know, not just, oh, it, five by five, right? That's the, I'm fine. Everything's mm -hmm. five by five. And, and that's, yeah. you know, clearly not true because you're being hunted by this really old vampire with cloven hooves, yeah. you know, like, yeah. uh, you know, that's like maybe. Yeah, no, and definitely, yeah, definitely Buffy's was more lying by omission and just sort of, you know, avoiding telling you know talking and communicating whereas buffer's sorry faith is definitely deceiving 
you right. know, which maybe does put her, you know, in a more dangerous category. And I think does go as much as Buffy can be, um, you know, we can we can kind of question whether Buffy was right to run away or, you know, to not tell her friends what was going on or everything. Or even to hide stuff like still... from her mother, just sort of right from the beginning. Yeah. Like Yeah, like we can we can question that those are good decisions, but fundamentally you can understand, you know, that there's still you know, Buffy does those things out of, you know, understandable sort of qualities, <clears throat> like wanting to protect Joyce or not knowing how to talk to her friends or, you know, feeling like she needs to deal with it on her own and and have that burden on herself. Whereas, and I think those are, even though she's making bad decisions, those are more justifiable, you know, reasons. To, whereas Faith's is more, I think that does go with her being more of a wild card and more of a, you know, you know, and she's free spirit in a good way that she's, she's kind of fun and she's funny and has good stories and, you know, is a cool person to hang around, but also is a little bit more dangerous and is a little bit more morally ambiguous and unpredictable. So that's interesting, I think, to have her as son of, you know, coming in and Actually, Buffy doesn't look so... You won't complain about Buffy's omissions, you know, and her lies in comparison to Faith's. You know, Faith seems more like you'd have to kind of keep an eye on her. She might be the kind of person that you don't know quite what she's going to do next or whether she is fully going to tell you the truth or, you know, whether she is fully on your side at all. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and she seems like the person... You know, what What of her cool, you know, easygoing way is kind of a front? You know, like, how much do you trust it at all, really? You know? Yeah. Well, yeah, and we see that especially when, you know, kakistos or taquitos or mm -hmm. khaki pants finds, um, <laughs> finds her. Kissing toast or yeah, whatever yeah, Buffy yeah. calls it. Uh, uh. Right, khaki trousers, I think, is the other one, which like doesn't even come close to sounding <laughs> yeah. like it. Anyway. Um, it has K's and T's, that's when, all. Uh, when he comes and finds them, and, and Faith just completely... Loses yeah, it, yeah. Doesn't, doesn't have anything to do. Right, it's it's like clear things are not five by five, whatever that means. Like, mm -hmm. I still never... As many times I've watched means. this show, and she says that a lot. Uh, yeah never quite understood where that came from five by five i'm googling yeah it, but keep talking i'm sure it'll i'm sure we'll have people telling us uh you're an idiot you should know this yeah um but anyway so i guess maybe we should even talk about that because like so we get the we get the story right that kakistos lost uh lost killed her watcher um face watcher um, who was a woman, by the way? Um, yeah, no, I caught that. So go, go, female watcher. Yeah, so just just to point that out, um, mm -hmm. it is not entirely a boys' club, although. Well, I, no, no, no. Anyway, um, <laughs> so 
he kills her watcher and Faith sees it. But like, yeah, we get that idea. Like this is another, we saw how happy Angel was when he was torturing and, or even getting ready to torture Giles. Right. Like you almost get the feeling that this is another, you know, similar situation here with Kikistos. Like he, Mm -hmm. he did something so terrible that it made a watcher or a, a slayer tremble, you know? Um, and, and we sort of get the hint of that first, even before we see Kekistos, um, right. When we first see trick and they pull up to the, you know, uh, fast food joint there and, and Kekistos, I'm going to rip her spine from her body and eat her heart and suck the marrow from her bones. And it's like, okay, is this the thing, like the sort of thing that faith, saw him doing like yeah like it's very specific what he wants to do to faith and and so clearly you know he did something at least as gruesome uh you know to her watcher it seems um and apparently he's been around pretty long so we get this again this idea that over time vampires become sort of deformed by age uh, mm-hmm. with his right yeah and, right like the master like, like the master yeah. right although obviously he looks different than the ma- like the master was more bat like and i'm not sure right um, right yeah and i wouldn't i don't know we, that that means that they all look exactly the same but it is that idea of of the longer they live the more demonic and deformed they right they become um um yeah, and this one has cloven, uh, or yeah, uh, who hooved, you know, hands and feet. Right. Yeah. For some reason, they started growing together in some ways. So anyway, yeah. Um, and uh, you know, again, so again, like we talked about, sort of the inexorable monsters of the family and Doctor Who. Like this is another mm-hmm. right. So clearly, he's been chasing Faith sort of a cross country and she's been saying so far one step ahead of him. And, and, mm. um, but again, we get this idea of the, you know, the, inex- the inexorable chase, uh, and, and, you know, they, he, he sort of pens her in right in his own little enclave there, you know, warehouse, yeah. wherever they are. Now we've seen end up in like these warehouses and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh but of course then so we have to compare Kakistos to his his uh personal assistant or like not quite sure what to make of Mr. Trick. What Mr. Yeah, Trick is, like, right. Um so what what well, what are your he's thoughts? He's certainly there? some sort of opportunist seems to me. Mm. That he's clearly not very loyal to Kakistos, that maybe this is the means to an end. He's going to sort of leech his way onto a more, an older, more powerful vampire and then, you know, jump ship when that seems to be going downhill or, uh, he doesn't even really seem to care whether Kakistos wins or whether the Slayers win. He got a lift to Sunnydale and that's really what he was after. Um, and you know, he's, it's kind of interesting to see the, you know, Kikistos is this really what we know about him is this ancient, you know, one of the oldest vampires. Right. Even his name is from ancient Greek. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So if he could be the oldest vampire, certainly one of them. Um, and 
then you've got the Mr. Trick who is all about being modern mm -hmm. and, you know, is, you know, what he, what does he say? Stay local, live global. That he's about <laughs> like maximum reward for minimum, like minimum effort or right. something that, you know. Well, he, yeah. And even just, so we, and we get the, the, the mention of, um, you know, how vampires tend not to dress if, of the current time, right? They dress of the yeah. times when they were killed, which, you know, like right. Faith is again dancing with a guy who's dressed like he's from, from the, the 70s. Right, which I thought look an, an homage to the first episode yeah. when Buffy picks out the vampire by his lame, outdated yeah. dress sense. Yeah. But Mr. Trick isn't like that. He's slick. No. He's in a modern he's suit. He's very smooth. He, yeah. he, um, he's using computers, right? They're, it's not. Mm -hmm. He's not sending out his minions to go find people. They're they've got computers running to check on the hotels and who's checked into them recently and, and that sort of thing. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, and, and, and it's not just the way he looks or the tools he uses, but he even says, uh, there's a reason these vengeance crusades are out of style, right? It's even, yeah. it's like, he's a new type of vampire. He, and he may be bringing a new type of terror, uh, you know, yeah. to Sunnydale, you know, we get, so and and I think we're meant to see this as sort of even though it's it's within one episode. This is almost a similar fake out to the judge, right? With Kakistos again, this mm. ancient, powerful, you know, vampire who uh, clearly, yeah, I mean, he killed a watcher and and fought a slayer, and and although yeah. he didn't kill Faith, he he fought her off at least, and um, you know, made her scared of him. So you know. Like he does have some chops, but mm -hmm. but we're also, I think, meant to, you know, in that comparison between him and Mr. Trick to see that that maybe, you know, we're getting away from from some of the usual stereotypes again, you know, with mm. with vampires. So, yeah, I hadn't really thought about that, that you are kind of led to believe that um, that Kakistos is sort of the big bad in a sense, but then the trick just sort of quietly slips off at the end. Yeah. And so we don't really see what happens to him. And so in the end, might he be the bigger threat? Um, and it's his name that's in the title. Right. So, well, right. Um, so we're being, that certainly suggests that he is, that the Kikistos was sort of the monster of the week. Whereas yeah. trick is uh, maybe something a little bit more. Yeah. Well, and, and that's the trick, right? Is is yeah, is the yeah. fake out? Is is yeah. the, you know, the Kikistos, uh is not necessary. I mean, he dies at the end, so you know he gets staked uh, <laughs> by faith with like this huge beam. Yeah, you know. like a beam of wood. And actually, I hadn't. This just occurred to me, but trick reminds me of a trickster. You know, mm -hmm. which is such a potent, almost like a low idea. Like a Lokian or, you know, yeah, like that, that is a figure in sort of folklore, mm -hmm. you know, trick in that way that, you know, that he is slippery and he's wily and he isn't about vengeance crusades because they get him killed. What he's about is, you know, quietly playing the system mm -hmm. and learning how to, you know, you, you know, like I said, you know, that he's going to live in a, in the, you know, lifestyle which suits him 
but he's not going to put himself at the forefront to get yeah. staked, you know? Um, and again, so I, I would draw another comparison with Spike because you get the sense that Trick is a vampire who likes living in this world, right? Yeah. He's, yeah. He likes his suits. He likes his fast yeah. food. He likes... He li- his, his, I love that he eats fast food delivery people. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> like... Right, right. He get he gets to take out you know the 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 drive through. He, he guy. orders pizza. Yeah, he gets yeah. the, the he gets the pizza guy. He get right. He's 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 about the convenience and the the, yeah. the all, like the capitalism of it in a way. You yeah. know, it's like yeah. ah, you know why why go out hunting at night when in the middle of the day if I want I, I can get have delivered to I can my have front it, door. It's not, yeah. yeah, it's not decapitation. It's DiGiorno. Um <laughs> I don't know. I don't think they're going to be using that tagline any time soon. But um, no. Oh, it, so yeah. So it's yeah. No, I think that's I. But you know, obviously, obviously, in contrast to Spike, he's not the uh, he's not the one who's willing to sort of run in. He's not the uh, he's the promoter. Maybe you know, he's the manager. Yeah. He's not the yeah. rock star. <laughs> yeah. Um, Right, he's the PR guy. Right. He's not. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. So, I mean, I think we're meant to to see by the end of the episode that the eponymous characters are uh, going to be sticking around. I mean, we know for sure that yeah. Faith. We get we get the explanation from Giles that until they can send a new watcher, and we don't know when yeah. or if that ever will be. Um, yeah. That Faith that is going to be staying yeah. with them. And, and so, you know, which, okay, so, which is which is great because we already know that there's some tension between Buffy and Faith. And that always makes for yeah. fun when there's two powerful women who are at odds. Yeah, yeah. Tension makes for <laughs> take, makes for good TV. Um, um, so we, we should talk about this. So, you know, we have the eponymous characters. And I think uh, we can talk about Hope, I think. As you mentioned before we started recording, it's, uh, you know, we can definitely see how his name might be significant. You know? Yeah, yeah, um, the, the very and, metaphorical sort of. Yeah, and Trick, same thing. We just talked about that. So um, going back to Faith for a moment, do we think the same is true of her name? Mm. Um, and maybe that's a wait and see kind of thing because I'm not sure yet that I have any real connections. Like, if her name is significant, is it, is it for her mm. that, you know, or is it for Buffy? You know, does she, is there something about her that, that she has to have faith in something or maybe Buffy has to have faith in her? You know, I, I'll, I don't have anything as far as this episode goes. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you do, I guess maybe we'll, stick a pin in that and keep our eye on it. But yeah, no. And that's, that's a great question because I think, I think you're right. Both hope and trick do sort of go with their personalities. Um, and, and their function in the stories in this episode anyway. And, and we can continue talking about them because I've already told you that we're going to see them again. Um, I don't know that I can either with faith at this point. So mm-hmm. I think that's a good question to continue asking is does, is her name significant sort of in, in that metaphorical way or, or 
is it not? And if it's not, is that itself significant? <laughs> um, like, is it sort of significant because there's not faithfulness there or something? I, Faith has no significance yeah, or like, something like, like that. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. And I don't know because that, that's honestly yeah, something yeah. that I've not spent a lot of time thinking about. So I'm not trying to like hint one way or the other because I think yeah. – even knowing the story of faith and you know how things pan out with her i'm i'm not sure i can say definitively one way or the other at this point so yeah um <clears throat> interesting interesting question uh, we can continue discussing it um just not right now <laughs> no i i don't have anything more to say than that so i guess um yeah anything else sort of i guess among the three of them faith not faith, hope, and trick, but faith, trick, and cachistos anyways. Um, mm -hmm. Any any other sort of words there or, or thoughts or, or... I think that covered everything that I had for them. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, at least, at least, I mean, they might come up... Faith might come up again later when we talk about the Scoobies, um, but... Yeah, yeah. Um, no, but anything like, I suppose, like sort of core to her personality that we learn about here. Uh, that slaying makes her hungry and horny, but that's the only <laughs> other thing I have. <laughs> and sometimes Buffy craves a non-fat yogurt after. Yes. She... Yeah. But we get the feeling. Buffy might, Buffy might know something about that, but she's too polite to say something. Yeah. We get, we get, the, we get the feeling that she's maybe again, omitting <laughs> yeah. some things there. Right, um, right, right. Because she says, "Are you hungry?" At the end, right. starved. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, I guess so. Let's talk about Buffy. So, um, and I mean, and, and even we can talk more than just in comparison to Faith, although that might be enough to talk about because she certainly sure. Uh, well, uh, yeah. What? What? Uh, any? Any thoughts there? What? What do you got? Uh, well. Let me see. Um, I don't quite want to talk about Snyder yet, but we do have that Buffy is allowed back into school. Mm -hmm. That he can only do so much and legally keep her out. And so she does sort of force her way back in, which is good. And she is... Well, and it's not even her that's what, right. It's it's well, that yeah. he's been overruled by the, the town... Or the... Um, the town board, the board. And he was... Yeah, er, yeah and he was... Um, and he was intimidated into it by Giles too. So yeah. there's an assist from him. And 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 I'm glad you mentioned that because like you almost wonder how much did did Giles even need to if like the board the school board ended up overruling him anyway. Right. Like I don't or did Giles, you know, was he the one who went to school? So like it's it's not right. really clear like how much exactly who, who to thank for that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so but yeah, you're right. The result is Buffy's back in. Snyder can't keep her out. Um, there we go. Yeah. Um, with, so... with conditions, though, right? She has to yes. get... Um, I forget what all they... So she has to like uh, do makeup exams. She has to yeah, get... <laughs> get recommendation letters. Yeah. From someone who's not an English librarian. Right, right. <laughs> Very specific uh, <laughs> on that note. And... Uh, uh, Oh, she has to see the school psychologist. Um, so yeah. Anyway. Um. Well, 
see, here's the thing with Buffy, because everything I have for her has to do with her relationship to somebody else, whether it's <laughs> Giles or Angel or Scott or her mom. So I'm not sure. So do you want to talk through if, the other characters? And I might have to, because I'm not sure that everything I want to say goes in that direction. Okay. So, okay. So I guess let's start with Hope then. Okay. Since we did the other title characters. So he's cute. <laughs> yeah. I like I like his Buster Keaton festival idea. <laughs> oh, would that is that what would get you a Buster Keaton festival? Hey, uh yeah, little uh film festival, old movie festivals. There you, I'm in. There you go. Right. Um Keaton is key. So um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't know that we have, we don't get to know him that well. He's kind of, I mean, we're cued to sort of like him in mm -hmm. his adorable uh, and slightly annoying pursuit of Buffy throughout the episode. He's like, you know, he's so nice that nothing Buffy does can possibly put him off. He just thinks she's the greatest thing. And even... At the end, when it seems like he's maybe going to have second thoughts, no, it's just an act. Right. And he really, yeah. you know. He needs some time so, to think about it. All of, like, two and a half seconds. Yeah. 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 So, um, I mean, I assume we're going to see a little bit more of him. Maybe see a little bit. Right now, he's the guy who likes Buffy, you know, and that sort of. and and But in a completely opposite way to the dark and brooding angel you know that this is puppy dog you know yeah high school romance this is yeah. normal awkward teenage yeah will you yeah. dance with me um, um yeah uh he doesn't quite so do and and hope you know it's this is buffy kind of once again uh you know investing in her own normal high school life that this is you know a a, a new beginning for her a new chapter yeah well, Which is good to see. And yeah, and it's right, and it's funny that she's talking now, not about having a normal life, but getting back to a normal mm -hmm. life. Um, and right. and Willow, sort of in the best friend way, pushing her, you know, sort of yeah. to get back to that too, because, um, like like the slip up there where, where, you know, oh Scott, what are you doing here? You told me if I was here, I could see Buffy. <laughs> like, clearly not what Willow was expecting was as a expecting, reply. Was expecting, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, I just stumbled across you guys. Yeah, um, yeah. Something along those lines, but yeah. Yeah, he's he's a little too honest for his own good, but yeah. So, what? I I don't know. I guess almost in a way, like we were rooting for Joan. You you can't help but sort of root for Scott here right and right because he's so well-meaning right <laughs> you know right and 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 so scott hope of course we're you know there's there's the hope there that buffy can sort of get back to something normal and and when we say get back to it's like well but even like the relationship she had before wasn't normal so it's like what's she getting back to it's like almost something right. more normal than what she right. had you know like right right this is like your very mundane sort of high school relationship um that that may be forming here so yeah you know 
Yeah. Right. Did she ever really have normal to begin with? But this seems to be a new kind of normal for her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah. And he is just so sort of innocent. Although what, do, what do you feel about giving someone a ring before you've yeah. even gone on a date? So that did. I, okay. My, my gut instinct is to think that that is a little contrived and that that's there so that, you know, we can have the appearance of the ring because if it's not, I'm not sure what it says about Scott. Right. <laughs> that I'm, I'm, I'm inclined to write that off okay. and not worry about it, but I don't know. Maybe we're meant to see that as foreshadowing of some sort of creepy stalkerishness, which mm. is lurking underneath, you know, it, it is very, that was quite presumptuous, I think. Yeah. To give, you know, to give a girl a friendship ring before, you know, a friendship ring. Right. Um, before you've had a date with her, you know. Right. Um, definitely. And it didn't quite go with this, the rest of his characters. We've seen it. So, yeah, my, my guess is that that's not that significant. Um... But I don't know. I could be totally wrong. Maybe he's a stalker secretly underneath. And we're going to find that out later. And this was like a clue to the more obsessive, you know, side of his personality or something. Um, but I don't know whether you can reveal that either way. But Well, I mean, first of all, geez, you're cynical. Um, <laughs> no, no. I, I, think... I don't know. If, if this happened in real life... You'd be a little worried. Um, in the story, I'm not sure that we need to take it that way. Yeah, but no, I, I, I'll go ahead and say I think you're right. I, I think the only purpose of that scene is to, to see. Well, I think there's a couple of purposes. One, I think to see that Buffy isn't really over and thus isn't really ready at that yeah. at that point in the episode for a relationship really of any kind, but especially I would say the type of relationship that we imagine she can or might or will have with Scott. Um, yeah. You know, which is again, that sort of mundane high school puppy love relationship. Mm -hmm. um, but also to remind us that there's this ring that Angel gave her because then you get to the end of the episode and, and that, and it's that ring, not obviously the one that, scott's giving her but it's the ring that angel gave her which is mm -hmm. what she takes back and symbolically leaves you know at the hearth where angel died you know because yeah. it is her giving up and and this is after she's now accepted or re-asked scott out to the buster keaton episode you know uh convention or whatever and or festival and and so like now, you know, we're seeing that she really is ready. So I, I would say that that's the purpose of the ring is, is, yeah. you know, for, yeah. from her perspective is, is to show, and she even says, I'm not ready for this. So, I mean, I yeah. don't think it's like a subtle, <laughs> you know, sort of yeah, thing. Like, no, and that's, that's pretty much how I took um, it. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't think we need to think bad things about Scott. No. And, and since I took it that way, 
I I don't. Yeah. Uh, I don't expect that that that's going to become a significant you know um, part of his personality. So. But I totally agree with you. It is a little contrived, um, especially <laughs> because I think the rest of the episode is, you know, a pretty a pretty overall you know solid episode um you know not yeah, the best think, not the worst think, but it's it's pretty good yeah and i think especially because it goes against what we know of scott's character in in his kind of normal teenage casualness that like you know his idea of you know getting of going out with buffy is to do something like go to the film fest like that he's not the dark brooding guy who gives symbolic gestures, you know, in the form of jewelry, you know, before you've even, that's the angel thing to do, you Mm -hmm. know, and even angel didn't do it until they had been together for a long Ah, time. ah. So no, that's not true. He gives her a necklace very early on. He gives her the cross necklace. That's right. He does. But the question is, but I think that's more fitting of angels character than it is of Scott's. Right. Um, Right. I don't see Scott as that type, um, at least not, not at this stage anyway. So, yeah, no, I agree, and I didn't mean to like do the. No, Aha, completely... you are wrong. <laughs> I'd completely forgotten that. Uh, <laughs> um, oh yeah, so Angel's given her a couple things. Yeah, yeah. interesting. Um, yeah, the necklace, jackets, very early on. Right, he gave yeah. Her the, the leather yeah, jacket yeah. and uh, and and a ring. So yeah. Right. He's he I you know, but he's had longer to build up his savings account as well. So it's true. Plenty of time you know, I mean Yeah, anyway. All right. All right. Uh, speaking of Angel. Speaking of Angel, what do you have to say about Angel? Well, uh so and speaking of Angel's ring, um, it seems to am I right in understanding that the ring act it acted as some sort of trigger. Um, it seems that it it being in that place has somehow opened up the portal. Uh, and um, certainly the portal opened and Angel fell back through. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems to me that the ring was what made that happen. Mm. Um, so, and of course, as soon as Buffy is agreeing to go on a date with somebody else you know of course angel comes you know that's when that happens yeah so um again why have a normal happy relationship when you can have romantic tension so sure it's much more interesting that way yeah of course um um i don't know well what else we have to say about that other than that he's back and i assume we're gonna find out how and what he experienced on the other side yeah I don't want to answer or give what I think might Any be an answer. <laughs> so I'm going to just ignore you. No. Um, okay. No, no. I, I guess my question is, so we, I, and I mean, we just sort of talked about, right. The symbolic nature of the ring um, that Scott gives her versus the ring that she leaves behind and, and all of that. So my only question would be is, do you think it's the ring or do you think it's more, her attitude and what the ring symbolizes that brings him Mm. back. I, and I don't, I don't, I have a thought there, but Mm -hmm. I 
don't necessarily mean to lead you in one way because I'm not sure that I'm right. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, okay. I will, I think that's a great open question because I think we, I mean, we, it's, you know, the last thing we see. So I don't yeah. really yeah. think that we're, we're meant to know at this point and, and, you know, we may get more information. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I took it as the ring, um, but I'm open to whatever other possibilities there are. Um, yeah. And, and so. it, that's a very reasonable, or, or, or maybe more broadly what the ring symbolizes to angel. Mm. You know, that there's something about his relationship yeah. to the ring was Could was be. more how I took it. So that it's something of value to him. Um you know, that maybe acts as some sort of key or portal between these two different worlds. So, um, but I don't know. We'll wait and see. Yeah. Yeah. We shall see. So I, so there's not much to say about Angel, really. When it comes no, to there's it. really not. Uh, there probably <laughs> will be more of that next week. <laughs> um, okay, so let's see. Where else do you want to go here then? Um, what about Giles? Let's talk about Giles. So there's kind of just one thing that I want to bring up about Giles. Um, and I think it's nice to see this continuing in this season with his character being really supportive of Buffy. Mm -hmm. um, and I really love the way that he, you know, you kind of have this subplot of him working on this spell to make sure that Akathla can't come back and, you know, trying to get details from Buffy about how the ritual went so that he can do that. But really, you find out at the end, it's just, there is no spell. It's just an elaborate plot on his part. And really, the way I read it is that he does this to get Buffy to talk, because he knows that She's not sharing with anybody exactly what her experience was, what she went through. And that, you know, maybe he has some sense that she has information that she's not sharing, that she's bottling up. Um, so at the end, once she's kind of, you know, had some insight through faith into, uh, you know, how it might be beneficial to let these things out and to talk and to trust other people, mm -hmm. um, she does open up and finally share with them about Angel and uh, and then Giles is like okay great you know Willow says I want to help with a spell and he's like yeah there's no spell I really <laughs> you know this yeah. was just you know because uh, you know he's trying to help Buffy yeah. um, so I'm really liking this kind of I mean he's always even from day one he's always been a mentor and always been supportive but in particular I think in the last, like, maybe even really since Jenny died, as as he's been, you know, more of the lonely figure, mm. it seems that he's becoming more and more selflessly supportive and, and watching out for Buffy. Um, so I just really like that aspect. Yeah. No, I think, I think that's right. I think that's spot on for the most part. Um, you know, and I think I think the only thing that I might say is, like, we've had a couple of opportunities, both in Buffy and Doctor Who, to sort of talk about the power of words. And, you know, I'm not so sure that it's not a sort of a spell in a way, you know, because it does ultimately get 
you know, he talks about this the spell being something to, you know, bind to Kathla and, you know, keep him from coming back. And yeah, okay, like there's nothing quote magical there that he does to do that, but there is sort of you know, that catharsis of being able to to sort of say the thing that she hasn't been able to say for months now. Um and yeah. and, and get through that and also to bring her back and bring a sort of healing to the group as a whole. You know, if we're looking at, um, you know, again, your soul triptych idea and, 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 (laughs) you know, there being these different parts to the body, it's, you know, getting, getting them back in good working order. You know, the, the convalescence here is kind of, I wouldn't say it's even complete, but it's like, it's truly to a point now where, you know, they've, by speaking it, they've, you know, purged the last of whatever bile was in the system, so to speak. I, I'm, like, keep extending this body metaphor. <laughs> like, I don't know how far we can take it. But, um, no, but I, I think, I think you, okay, yes, it's not magic sort of in the way you think of magic in a fantasy sense. But I do think that there is a sort of magic, if you will, to to using to just speaking something right to making it. So it's, it's, it's the idea of when you, when you speak something out, then you can deal with it. Right. It's, it's, Mm -hmm. it's when it's secret and kept bottled inside. And, and obviously this isn't the first time we've seen this, but I think that's just sort of where you're working with it. Right. It's, it's by giving it form. Now you can fight it, you know, even though it's, it's just a, I mean, it's still just a thing like he died, you know, I mean, there's not anything physically to fight there, but there is, this, you know, there is sort of a presence to it now that's acknowledged. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sort of can work in a magical sort of way, a spell kind of way, I guess, is is where I'm trying to go with that. So, um, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Anyway. I wouldn't disagree with that. So, well, I think that wraps up then what we had to say, uh, unless you have anything else. No, I think we're all good. Cool. Well, then we will see everyone next week. See you then. (laughs) 